We are back with another Detunes Radio. We uh, back. We are. <laughs> I think we we started off doing this weekly, which oh was God, very so ambitious. Much. It was very ambitious, oh, and then man. we switched to bi-weekly, and now we've just switched to vibes uh, <laughs> when we can do it. Um, it's technically still bi-weekly. It's but technically bi-weekly. It's an inflexible bi-weekly, which happens, which means if. Something happens on the week we're supposed to record. We can't just jump to the next week because I have something else on the other weeks that we don't record. <laughs> what do you, so it's like, what do you have on the other weeks? Uh, some friends of mine from church get together and we have Bible study. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we talk about how uh, mostly it's like, man, those Christian, those uh, evangelical conservatives are real. Really messing up everything, aren't they? It's not a buy. Isn't that your WWE night? No, that's Wednesday. That's every Wednesday. That's why we oh. moved from Wednesday. And it's AEW. It's not WWE. Get it right. You, okay. With same difference, whatever. No, it's not uh, the same difference because WWE is trash. One pays the wrestlers more. <laughs> one does pay the wrestlers more. And has and asks them to do less. Uh, I guess we could just jump to the last night was WrestleMania. I only know this because um, I looked at Twitter. So, yeah. as you know, I, I'm fully on the Mastodon train. That is my main social media home. Uh, I'm. It's good for you lines. for understanding how to use it. It's very easy to use. It's very easy uh, if you have but, a server. Um. <laughs> It's, I, like, because I've moved, I don't catch as much, like, zeitgeisty stuff, because, right, there's, yeah. there's trending topics, but it's not really, because, like, it's such a small... And it's more isolated in your own, like, niche that you're in, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's all sub, mine it's tends all sub, to skew, mine skews all tech, uh, like, like, programming, I should say, not tech in the, like, silica, uh, the VC way, and then also, like, public transit and, like, <laughs> biking infrastructure. Like, I'm really, really nested in the public transit, biking infrastructure. Anyways, I said all that to say, I opened Twitter. And I saw that WrestleMania was happening, and I said, yes. "They still do WrestleMania." And then I was it's like, "Of two course, they do. why wouldn't yeah, they?" Yeah, it's two nights now, and I only watched three matches, and I wish I would have done none because, like, the one thing that they're like, "Oh, you didn't, you didn't like it." The one storyline that they're like hyping up. Do you remember me a few a few months ago talking about like one of the guys who went off to start AEW was rumored to be coming back to WWE. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So he had a title match in the main event that was supposed to be like, he's going to get the title. He's going to get it. But he's, he's still explicitly. So he's at WrestleMania, but he's explicitly representing no, AEW. No, no, oh. he, he's, he's gone. He jumped ship. Oh, okay. So he did jump ship. Yeah. He jumped ship. Okay. And it's like they've been building to it for months as like this is the guy that's finally going to beat the guy who's been champ for three years and he didn't. Oh. And it's like, okay, sure, you can put the title on him later, but like it's not going to, the payoff's not going to be, you lost your your maximum impact. But then 
immediately after WrestleMania goes off the air, it is announced that they have sold to the company Endeavor, which is the parent company of UFC. And the plan is to merge WWE and UFC into a single company. That <laughs> strange. Like, that makes sense if you squint hard enough. Also, a lot of UFC fighters do WWE after because yeah. it's obviously what. It's not. It's, it's, it's longer. You can have a longer career. Yeah. Yeah. You are not literally. Doing Brazilian Brazilian and, jitsu on people's faces, yeah, and you can make a lot more money doing it. Um, but but yeah, yeah like and Brock then Lesnar yeah. went over, and, and then he went back. Ronda Rousey, like, is he even doing WWE? No, Brock Lesnar was in WWE first. Oh, he was. Yes, and then oh, he went and did UFC, and then he's back, and he's like ping pong oh. between the two. Ronda Rousey, yeah, went to WWE. Uh, they're a yeah, it's a, a bunch of MMA folks. Because um, like yeah, after a couple of years of doing MMA, which is maybe very the most brutal, brutal sport. Yes, you, you can have you know, a maybe five year career. <laughs> yeah, in and MMA. after you're like, oh, what if I take all this athletic ability I have, but maybe I don't need like surgery and <sighs> in, in um, two months of bed rest after uh, okay, after every WWE. show. Yeah, <laughs> after every performance. Um, yeah, I mean, I like, respect the hell out of those guys. I wish yeah. I was cool enough to fight uh, like that, but I'm not, and I'm too scared. <laughs> yeah, but then, like, and even, like, Vince, Ma- Vince McMahon showed up after months away as, like, oh, I'm going to be the chairman again. And, like, now he's got, like, a pencil mustache, and he's dyed his hair black, and it's, like... He looks like his own evil twin, even though, like, Vince McMahon, let's be honest, I, is the evil twin. I got to Google this, because... So he's it's been bizarre. rumored for a long because he's a very M1, he's very wealthy and uh, incredibly he's been eccentric. Good about as far as showmanship, he's been good about kind of making himself the center. He could have easily faded into the background and just collected a paycheck. He didn't want that. Uh, no, because he's a narcissist. And he's a, <laughs> and he's a republic. He's a staunch Republican, very conservative, at least at least in terms of. Um, like uh, ec- economically, right? Yes, he was a very um, strong supporter of the Trump campaign, and so I keep waiting for him to 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 come out for whatever you know to run for something. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. I listen, really, he's listen, listen, listen. He was like forced to resign from WWE because of uh, allegations of impropriety. I if so your if your skeletons cannot withstand the scrutiny of world wrestling entertainment, yeah, <laughs> there's I no way you can you. get to politics. Look, I want to live in a world where there are consequences uh, for your actions. Trump, but Trump was indicted. Let's Trump. hope. Let's hope. I mean, finally indicted, but finally, like, oh my God. Like when that came through, I really, I can't wait to read the transcript of his deposition. He's going to admit to so many more crimes. Um, (laughs) it's, I would say during, during the, like my political, uh, sea change personally has been like, uh, W W Bush is in office. I hear about the so that you're going to say WWE, and I start to get <laughs> you know my politics are changing. Right. I'm changing whatever, and I'm all in on Obama. And I think like a lot of people in our, uh, I know you share similar political beliefs as me. Yeah. Like we've 
shifted from that and now we just fall under the bucket of leftists, right? Like some some form of socialism, maybe a dash of communism in there. And so it's hard so the circles that I run in, the the people are so like cynical about the uh the whole process. Oh yeah. That they're absolutely. like even when he gets indicted, they're like, Yeah, whatever, nah, nothing's gonna happen to him. Who nothing's cares? Gonna like, happen. Yeah. But it's also like, it's like And I'm like, let me like I love you guys, but let me have this. Yeah. Like, let me have this moment of just of of seeing some consequences. Right. Also he was indicted by a grand jury, which I am of the understanding. Thirty four accounts. Thirty four. <laughs> Which I am of the understanding. Thing, and it can't be all her. Yeah, I am of the understanding that typically grand juries don't indict unless it's like, oh yeah, this is this is bad. There was a this there was bad. a Hard Times headline that was something like record number of people Google indictment. <laughs> <laughs> today and it's like totally like i oh, yeah. i didn't google indictment when it happened but i definitely googled it within the past <laughs> year to just remind like wait so i know it's like the i know it's like the legal system you're being formally accused of something and now you have to go and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, present in court over it but um yeah, like I definitely been like, wait, okay, so what does this mean exactly? Like, is this he is he in handcuffs yet? Yeah, you know what's going on. I uh, I'm not gonna go on this rant. I don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> sorry, we were talking about WWE. Yeah, and uh, but something more. But well, I'm sorry. Did you have any more to say about both the world life? No, what is it? World the World Wildlife Federation. World Wildlife <laughs> Federation. <laughs> That was the one that they got sued. They sued, yeah. Right? WWF sued the company, now WWE, and was like, hey, you you can't call yourself this. And they're I like, what the hell? We've been, them we've been coexisting. WWF. We've been coexisting for, yeah. you know, it's been like 20 years. I mean, it's similar it's to WWE. the Apple, Apple and Apple thing where the Beatles named their uh, situation. I'm going to get this wrong, but the Beatles recording company was like Apple. And I think technically on paper, Apple Computers is called Apple Inc. or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they couldn't get the Beatles. There was this like thing for ages. <laughs> the Beatles were on iTunes, and it was a whole deal. And then when they did, anyways, that's not important. Was that, a, was that a pettiness thing? Was that why? Yeah. No, I mean, oh, was, I didn't like, know that. It was a legal thing. It was a legal Ooh. thing. Like they were, they were arguing over who had the rights to the name and like whatever. And, and so they were taking they it out settled, on iTunes. When they all finally settled and the dust settled and uh, this Steve had... Steve Jobs and Man, that Tim Apple's a petty bitch. Tim, Tim Apple was in office. I said it in office, you know, because that's how that works. <laughs> yeah, he's been uh, inaugurated. It was a big deal. They were like, holy cow, like, you know, the Beatles are on, on iTunes for the first time ever. Um, but you know who else is on iTunes for like the sixth, fifth time ever is, is Neil you. Young? Oh. You. <laughs> but that we're going back to Neil Young. <laughs> I would love to talk about Neil Young. I've been on a Neil Young <laughs> You would laugh if I, so. I stopped using Last FM when I switched Apple Music because it was such a pain in the ass, and so I'm right. just I'm giving up all that. Uh, but That's yeah, a big it's like move. mine is just like I love that kind of day, but mine right now is just, it's probably just like <laughs> Guns and Roses, space <laughs> spaceships, Neil Young. Yeah, that's our, uh, so we Danny we, Brown. Yeah, spaceships has a new album that you can buy on iTunes. If anyone is buying things on iTunes anymore, you can also stream Don't, it. From yeah, go on various, Bandcamp. You can also buy the vinyl on 
what yeah, is vinyl? It, how? What is the way to make sure that the most money ends up in your pocket? Is that Bandcamp? Yeah. Okay. I don't know Friend Club because you're on Friend Club mm-hmm. Records. The way yeah, we get so we get everything score. after profits are paid or after uh, expenses are paid. Okay. So, uh, buy enough that you know we start we get the uh, pay, pay off the pressing and then everything else is ours. It's all mines. Bah, 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 bah. Well, if I can, I've already probably talked too much in this episode, but <laughs> uh, I've. Like historically, been mixed on your stuff. Like Son, Son of Man was not my favorite thing in the world. I did really like Pillars. Well, this is the first time hearing of it, and you are a dear friend. And I, this is easily my favorite release you've ever done. Um, yeah, by far is my favorite. And I, we should do. I mean, we really should just do a whole episode on how the hell you do all that you do. I mean, but, I've done like um, five podcast guest things about the record so i'm <laughs> yeah okay one listeners that'll be in the show notes nat has been podcast he's been cheating on me um but two it feels and i know this is i know it's not this way but it feels almost like clockwork with you at this point and it's as a as a person who is um a, a failed musician, a failed singer, songwriter who's trying to get back on the horse. I'm not trying to be the next bony bear. I'm just trying to make a little EP or something. Sitting down with my acoustic guitar, I cannot tell you the amount of analysis paralysis I get. I doubt everything. Analysis and I'm like, paralysis. I'm like, man, Nat just feels like he has this like for me, like he's just got this shit down. And, uh, and the record is amazing and, and everybody should listen to it. I'm, I'm happy for you. Thank Well, thank you. Uh, it's I think part of its strength is uh, it was originally I was just like we're just gonna go for it we're just gonna do a double album like way bloated over long like is it considered a double album no it isn't but Uh-oh. I wanted to make a double album just like you know got some segue tracks and stuff in there it's and what, whatever eight, sevens eight songs it's eight songs yeah. but I, I was like yeah we're well, gonna do you know all this. Uh, and then, um, my friend Rob, a friend club was like, I mean, if you can make, if you can, uh, make it affordable to make a physical version of it, then I'm all for it. And so I was like, all right. And so I crunched some numbers and I was like, there's no way to do it. (laughs) So me and the listeners through that because I don't, uh, I don't know. I just go to the record store and I buy a vinyl and if it's a, double what's considered a double album versus not is very weird because i feel like the cd world is when we started calling things double albums more um, uh no but, i mean white album was pretty in CD. the white album yeah white album was like yes this is definitely double. but like the smiles record is on to like the amount of albums i have that are on yeah like, the vinyl records i have that are on two uh discs versus right the uh what i think of as double so how do they make it affordable are you just not in the in they just do they just do volume you just have to do enough volume for it is really what it is and so um i have a friend who did put out a double record and he did it all himself and he's uh, and it's on like colored vinyl and he's selling them for like 
it was a short run. He's selling them for fifty dollars a pop because that's what he has what to to break open, no. yeah. or that's to break even. Like that's what he has to do to like you know pay for his studio time and the musicians and to pay for the vinyl. Fifty dollars, which it's worth. It. It's Joe Boffman, uh, the and the Antichrist Blues or the Antichrist I to, Complex. I need to to give him a proper proper uh, man. Meaning to yeah, but no. So uh, I was like, I want to make it a double, and he's like, if you can find out a way to make it feasible, and I crunched okay. every number I could, and I couldn't make it happen. So I took the best of those songs, and we cut them down, we whittled them down, and I think probably combined some ideas that it existed. Um, Wait, let but, me pull up your record here because you have always said to me, spaceships. You have always said to me that um, one side of a vinyl record is roughly 19 to 22 minutes. I 22 think is about, yeah. And it's 45 how long is, is about. This record? You can cheat it, you can go longer. I'm trying to click on your record without making it play. <laughs> it is 47 minutes, so that is not that is three minutes over the 22. But you can squeeze it. Okay, okay. You can. You can. There's a limit to what you can squeeze, and so I do have. Uh, I think I have a live Miles Davis record that is like 55 minutes long that's squeezed onto one side. You just lose. I understood how that works. Yeah, you just put the groove closer together. Oh. But you lose uh, how loud you can make it at that point because a deeper groove um, or a louder groove is deeper. And so you got to want you want a deep groove. Right. And so to make it uh, so it's loud enough that it plays at like standard volume but not so it like but not so close together that the grooves bump into each other. And that's that's kind of the thing that you got to get this to. And so a lot helps, of places just say like twenty two minutes. This helps make something because again, I'm I'm new to this oh. world, but like um, the smile I just mentioned, I right. think that record is forty something minutes. It's fifty five. I just pulled total. it up. Oh, okay. That's a double fifty three. P. Uh, I have a bunch of stuff that's like two <laughs> yeah. records, and I'm or the. Def Heffen, Infinite Granite. That's another one that's like two. And I'm like, why? Mm -hmm. it's, and then... Uh, it's the way that's divided. And so it's like you can either... And also a lot of... Play, a lot of uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of thought about how... if you Because if you do have fewer or less time on a side of vinyl, mm -hmm. you can make it louder. And you can, you know... A lot of people think that there's a higher sound quality there, and also if you do it huh. at 45 instead of 33, you can get a better sound quality as well. One thing, so the High Women, their record I bought, and that's enough a enough about all those. But let's talk about me. That's enough. Uh, that's <laughs> a double, and uh, once they don't have enough to fill two, uh, four sides, I should say. And so <laughs> one side is just art. So yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Three sided. Yeah, there are a bunch of three sided with that thing. I do want to get back to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We digressed. <laughs> uh, how's it been? Like, you put it out into the world. This is crazy. Yeah, That's, we put it out in the I, world and, uh, like, immediately had to get a new drummer. Just <laughs> thought, like, drummers are, like, timing's supposed to be, like, the one thing drummers are good at, but. A. Yeah. A. Um, no, just had an issue where he had to get a new drummer, and I'm like, bro guy uh but no we've got a new drummer now and it's like 
he taking off. Sounds like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. It's uh, it's a real solid. Uh, but then you know, so we had the the single with Ryan from Holy Fawn, uh, which you know we were expecting a boost from that, but we weren't expecting that the boost we got from that would attract the attention of the Spotify algorithm, and so we got thrown on a bunch of people's release radar. That's cool. And that track has like That's twenty rad. right, and that track has like twenty two thousand listens now. That's awesome. Which. The next single has seven hundred. <laughs> so I mean, you don't got you don't got a exposure numbers. No, but like, you, but it's but it's to. a solid. Like, uh, I'm very I'm very pleased with how, how I don't well know what the Jassets have at this point. The, the probably <laughs> I think we I think we broke a thousand. Yeah, um, but but, yeah. but no, it's it's going it's going well. There's a there's a decent like listen through rate to the album. So the last track is. Uh, you'll always get like some trail off the further you get down the record, but uh, seems like there are a bunch of people who are sticking around through it, which is fantastic. I mean, I've been listening to it in, I think I've done four or five listens now. Um, I'm not a bit, okay, this is going to sound like, a, I don't know if it's like Gorillas or something, and they're like, there's a new Gorillas single, like, oh, I'll yeah. check it out. But if it's like, when you're like, hey, I have a new song, like, because I know your music, and I'm like, I want to hear the record. Like, right. I don't want to hear the song. And so I listened to um, the first track with Holy Fallen and Blanking on, what's it called? Uh, Spilt. Uh, Spilt. Spilt. Um, which you got a typo in the title. I don't know if you know that. There's a typo in there. No, it's not. Um, Everybody's always like, oh yeah, Split by Spaceships. I'm like, no, we just released a Split. Um, but this is a different thing. I listened to that just because I was interested, but there was a couple others I think that were available to me and I like just didn't listen because I was like, I want to hear the like, <laughs> album. And then now that the album is out, is. I'm, I'm listening to it a lot. So uh, it's fantastic. It's well, really good. It's frustrating how it is... Deeply, uh, I am deeply jealous of your ability <laughs> to just sort of make what sounds like one of the most fleshed out. I mean, this thing's this is. Well, I mean, yes, it is. It's also modern technology. Yeah, but whatever. It's sound. This is. There is nothing. There's. It's not like I'm listening to like a Taylor Swift record and then spaceships and going, "Wow, these things are recorded for totally different budgets." That's not the case <laughs> at all. Like, yes, hers yeah. is produced differently, but right. it's as far as as quality or whatever. I'm like, holy cow! Like, I'm, yeah. I'm blown away with what you're able to do with that. Record. And that was kind of like a. A, the real intimidating thing about it was because, uh, you know, we had the feature that we were trying to get to, and then, um, you know, we wanted to have it mastered by uh, Mario Quintero, who uh, from Spotlights, who did do the vinyl mastering for Pillars, and I immediately wished that he would have done the mastering around the digital as well, because he did such a good job on it. But um, I was like. You know, and it's still pandemic is still going on. So we're we haven't played as yeah. many shows lately. Uh, especially like we had a few like really good cash cow gigs that would you know we'd play a couple hours and get three hundred bucks, and we could um, book those almost as often as we wanted to. We do you know once every two three months, and just you know have a couple of different spots where we would do a long high dollar set, and we hadn't had any of those you know, and so. 
we're like, okay, well, we have these things that we want to pay for. I don't think the, like mixing isn't one of the things that like I can I can try. I have some experience mixing. I mixed the first Spaceships record. Uh, I can try, and I you know I've been living in Logic ever since COVID happened, and so yeah. And you're well, it's one of those things where as a musician you're listening to it and you go, I know it sounds good, right? Like, okay. but, but in, then and it's the getting, reality is yeah. it's actually an art form. That yeah, you don't really and so. I I uh, have done a lot of study <laughs> in the last, and it's it's weird because every time I like am recording something, and even if it's like I record the first song and then I go and I'm recording the third song, and I'm like, I feel like I had no idea what I was doing on that first song. <laughs> like it's hmm. I'm just by the by the time I had ended mixing it. I felt like I did not know what I was doing when I started mixing this. Uh, just my workflow changed like two or three times. I recorded my guitar part over like six times in different methods <laughs> because I was like, oh, there's a reason people do this. So um, it's, it's just so funny because listening to it, it sounds complete. It sounds done. It sounds what it should sound like. But... I know what it's like on the other side when you're creating, yeah. and you're like everybody's just hearing, you know, all the faults or all <laughs> all of the the everybody's listening to this going this sounds weird or whatever, and you're like no, yeah, it's a weird <sighs> sort of thing, especially now because like it's been this is the longest I've worked on a record in a long, long, long time. Uh, okay, so I was surprised you had a new record coming out because in my head, Pillars is not that old. It's three years old. Three years is like, <laughs> I mean, a moon-shaped pool came out in 2017. And and, and everyone's like, where the hell is Radiohead? Uh, Radiohead is broken up. I mean, they kind of have. But, no, they um, the I was impressed. I was very impressed. I don't know. You just, you have the... I, have a I gift. pride myself on on being. I pride myself on being a productive person, uh, and I have all these methodologies I've used, and I've read productivity books because I'm a freaking nerd. And uh, <laughs> that's why you're not productive. I've, you're wasting all your time reading these books. And I've always been in uh, impressed by how much you can do, um, and so that is a compliment. And you made a fantastic record, and you should be very proud of it. And if you are listening, please give it a listen. Uh, if if you don't want to throw dough behind it, uh, just you know, just to Venmo top, me. Just Venmo Nat. Just listen to the top. Listen to the Holy Fawn song. My personal favorite on the track, uh, the record is Sinews, the second one. Sinews, Sinews. Whatever. No one, no one in the, no one else in the band can pronounce Wait, it correctly either. Sin, sinews, Sinews. So, um, can I tell you about when I learned what that word was? Oh, is this going to be dirty? It sounds like it's going to be dirty. No, okay. it's playing Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid. Filthy, absolutely. The filthy. The, the the fight with Ninja, uh, and he because <laughs> it's the most dramatic, ridiculous uh, Hideo Kojima thing. Yeah, and you you know every time you get a couple hits in on Ninja, he has to give you a monologue, and he says something about sinews. He says something like, I can feel it coursing through my sinews or something like that. And I was like, what the hell is that? And I like <laughs> looked it up in the dictionary. It's as the a threads kid, that make your muscles move. Yeah. But like I literally went to the dictionary and looked it up because yep. I was like, what is the crazy guy in Metal Gear Solid talking about? <laughs> and uh, now I remember when I learned that word. There you go. So um, now sinews reminds uh, you of uh, Metal Gear Solid. 
<laughs> yes. This <laughs> you're yeah, it's there a soundtrack. Go. When I listen to that song, I'm like, mm. man, I can picture running around a solid snake in a cardboard box. <laughs> what I envisioned. <laughs> That's actually pretty weird. There's a uh, a friend of mine is in a college new media class and they had to do a video project. He's like, ooh, what if we did a music music video for one of your guys' songs? I'm going, Okay. Sure. <laughs> Uh, and it, but it's but it's basically a shot for shot remake of Metal Gear Solid. So, so you you called it? No, actually, I uh, I'm. It's it's wild because I you know you always feel like it hasn't been that long since you've been in college, but then like you talk to college kids and you're like, oh man, I don't remember that life at all. And so like I got all these texts from the cinematographer from the group who's like. Hey, um, could we get the band together at like 1130 this Thursday? I'm like, bro, it is Tuesday. <laughs> like you, you're trying to get four grown adults <laughs> with jobs <laughs> in the same place for a chunk of time. Like on we the need, one hand, he's totally right. You should just be able to ask. We need people. more warning than that. But you're like, <laughs> no, as an adult, we schedule things quarterly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm planning a bachelor <laughs> party right now and there's 11 folks going and it's a, it's a 30 somethings bachelor party, right? This isn't the 20 somethings bachelor party where you just go out and uh, go get drunk and whatever. This is a whole trip to New Ooh. Orleans and I'm, planning it and Woo. it's been it's extremely some- frustrating because uh one i hate doing this kind of work but two everywhere i called at the beginning of march because this is it's happening in two weeks yeah everywhere i called in the beginning of march was like huh well one they wouldn't answer or they'd be like huh because you can't book 11 it's there's 11 of us and you can't book 11 people on the internet it's just yeah. like no you got to call the special number and I call the yeah. special number or whatever. And then the few folks I would get. And then they're all like, this like, phone isn't supposed to ring. I don't know. It's never rung before. I would. Yeah. I would call it's a pay phone. when I would finally I get through to someone and they would be like, uh, that's too far out. I don't know. And so then, <laughs> uh, this weekend, is that's like, the okay, most new Orleans attitude. I've two, ever two, two weeks and some change. <laughs> let me get, let me get on this. And I called and a couple of places were like, Oh, we're all booked up. And I was like, what do you mean? You're all booked up. I literally called you four weeks ago and you said like to call back in like a month and like, how can you be all booked up? Anyway, <laughs> this is a side rant. That's super about Orleans. being an adult in <laughs> cities. Uh, and, I wish I could remember uh, the name of the place, but get some charbroiled, charbroiled oysters from this yeah, one never, seafood place that I can't remember the name of. I never been, uh, I've gotten tons of tips and, um, the other thing too is in my head, I'm just like, Oh, we'll go here and we'll go here. We'll go here. And I had to go, wait a minute. Let me, let me, let me, to use your phrase, let me pop a goog. How yeah. big is New Orleans? The French quarter is very small. Oh, and like, oh, this is okay. Cause in my head, like every city is as small as San Francisco and I'm like, <laughs> or like Manhattan. Sure. Like, no matter, I don't. If you're on the, if you're at the Statue of Liberty and you need to get to the other side of Manhattan, like you can do it. <laughs> it's not a big deal. And uh, I had to look up and be like, oh, dummy, you can't just pick four random things to do in a day. You need to kind yeah. of pick a location because it'd be like, oh, it's an hour and a half by Uber to the other side of the city. No, it's you just gotta nope. get, you just gotta get to the French Quarter and then just like walk around there. 
because we have a French Quarter Day, we have a Treme yeah. Day, and then we have like a what is it called? Like the something East Gardens. Day. I don't know. We were at, we only spent time in the French Quarter when we went. So except but, when we went to the Louis Armstrong Garden. But, well, I empathize with your college friend who is like, this is a totally reasonable request. I'm giving you 48 hours notice. And you're like, no, man. Like, 48 hours during the workday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Well, we should talk about our... What we we should move on about. to Do we have a topic? Do we have one? Do we have a... I don't know. I don't know. Is this a podcast topic? that does topics anymore? <laughs> Um, wait, usually, an aside, an aside, I, think, I have started listening, so I got back into podcasts, because uh, I used to listen to a ton of podcasts, and they yeah. were all like part of a network, and they were all sort of like the same 10 people all <laughs> guesting on each other's <laughs> podcasts, and it was really fun, and it's an yeah. Instagram group, and I follow them on Twitter. It fell off completely. I listen to three podcasts right now. I listen to the Big Shack podcast, uh... Or the big podcast of Shaq, which is about basketball. I listen to Mina Kimes' podcast, which is about football. And I, yeah, I was going to say, isn't, isn't Big Shaq the guy who did the quick maths? Uh, Men's Not Hot fan. what? Men's Not Hot Wait. with Big Shaq. I have no, what are you talking about? It's, there's a rapper named Big Shaq. There's a rapper named Big Shaq? Yeah, and he did a, he did a song called Men's Not Hot. Okay. Because he always wearing his put- jacket. I'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> you have to watch the you have to watch the there's a genius.com explainer video for that song that is one of my favorite songs on the is, 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 favorite is, videos is a on the British internet. rapper and so he probably is, he pronounces it garage. Yeah, big shot garage rapper. Big shot. Um and I was, I was in the NFL, this Mina Kimes podcast is about the NFL and I was in the Spit and Chicklets which is about uh, the NHL. Spit and Chicklets guys <laughs> in particular are radically is the most popular NHL yeah. kind of coverage. Three and a half hours is their typical episode. We're not spending and that they, much time, are we? Does that they, didn't inspire you in that regard? No, what I'm <laughs> saying is is it made me feel a little better about our two hours sometimes. I was like, holy cow. Okay. Anyways. Enough about me. Anyways. We are talking yes. about what everyone who's listening, if you're still listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with the website pitchfork.com yes and nat and i today wanted our topic is uh well nat called pitchfork core which at first i said what is that and then when he's explained it i said oh absolutely yeah um but just also kind of the role in pitchforks in the in the crit in the Music in, in the, the like, in the I don't circle, know. yeah. The the in role the circle of people who play follow music, yeah, yeah. And like, why it matters because we've mentioned it a couple times, right? And yeah, like, I think it comes Rolling up every episode. <laughs> yeah, when Rolling Stone <laughs> gives something a bad review, I don't care. Right. When Spin Magazine, if that's even still a thing, I don't think it is. Gives something a bad review, I don't care. Um. And there was a couple hanger, or you know, uh, there's a bunch of other things. Cream magazine, right? Like that was a thing, and now it's not a thing, and now it's a thing. NME and uh, yeah, like I did not care what NME said about Thursday, but I did care when Pitchfork gave Thursday a terrible review collapse. Like I was like knives. I don't know, and I, I I was angry, and it's like, well, why? And it was because it it occupied such a 
place in the culture of like uh, overnight, it felt like these were the serious music people, and they knew more than you. <laughs> yeah, and they were smarter than you. And oh, you, <laughs> you like you like that underground band, Modest Mouse. <laughs> I've I haven't listened to them in seven years. How banal you know, that. Yeah, that Pitchfork um, had the air about it, but you, as a reader, always wanted to go. Yeah. Okay. Wait. What? The, I want to catch up. I want to right. know the cool stuff. Yeah. The uh, the the line from a review that is stuck in my head as the most Pitchfork Pitchforkism <laughs> was in a review for Pedro the Lion's Control. Uh, he, wow. he says something about the drum record, the drum production, and he said, "Somebody get this guy a copy of the Soft Bulletin." And Ew. I'm like, "That's the most," because <laughs> it's like this Did thing you're referencing, right? This yeah. thing sounds derivative, or it sounds kind of like this other thing that I really like, but it isn't that thing. So I hate it because it isn't the thing that I like. But it's may I think it's maybe trying to be what I like, which and there is a weird yeah. So it's it's a weird sort of thing because it started out like basically as like a monthly zine, and it had like kind like it was just like a suburban kid who yeah I can't from like his name. I think Milwaukee or Minneapolis or but I can't remember the name of the guy who he, started Pitchfork. He's but, just uh, like doing do stuff. Like with that, like underground artsy zine culture, with like you know, there's kind of essays about albums, maybe more than reviews, but it's you know, and it's got the snark and the you know the aloofness. That, that was a big part. Yeah, the snark the, and the aloofness that you would have come to expect from the kind of people making zines in the late '90s, um, and like, then now you go to Pitchfork, and it's almost like you might as well just go to. You know, Rolling Stone. Or I mean, their own icon. They, they, right. they sold out. Yeah, they are a major. They sold the con- I don't play. I don't play them at all. Like, right? They're they're a bunch of you know middle class. Uh, the founders are just middle class folks, as far as I know. Like, how, yeah. get the get that bag, uh, as they say. Right. But there was th- a shining like, moment. There was like pitchfork. There was this moment felt like you were at a concert and you look over. And you see this like gorgeous but scary punk girl, and you want to talk to her, but you're <laughs> afraid to talk to her. Oh! And you finally build up enough courage to go talk to her, and you're like, "Hey, I really like this band." And she's like, <laughs> "That's so precious." Okay, I'll see you later. It's and she no. and, and you're like, "No, what do you do? What do you do? What do you like?" That's the kind of how Pitchfork was if it was personified. In the early two thousands, uh, and uh, at least to me, that's how I would describe it. It just felt impossible to please. It was yes, it was impossible to please. But to me, it was much more. Uh, so Scott Pilgrim versus the World. There's a character named Como. Do you remember? He's always like, he's the Is guy he that tells Scott Pilgrim. No, he's the guy. It's uh, Nelson Franklin is the artist, or is the actor who played him, but he's the guy that told Scott who Ramona Flowers was. 
that dude. But then there's <laughs> a like, uh, there's I a scene a movie. That it's never it's old. maybe it never my favorite old. movie. It's maybe my it never favorite gets movie. Old. But there's a scene where he's talking. I think it's at the club that Jason Schwartzman makes. Um, but I, it's like one of those like conversations where you're not supposed to like be listening to it, whatever. But mm. he just kind of passed by it, and he says, "Well, their first album isn't as good as their first first album, and that is Pitchfork <laughs> to me." Yes, it's just diving into and- the minutia of whatever <clears throat> underground stuff is going on, and they have done they, so they, much they, recontextualization they, of even yes. like decades that they weren't part of. So like they have um, lists of, you know, best yeah. albums of the seventies, eighties, nineties, which I have scoured religiously. You know, that yeah, was anytime they come out with a best of whatever list, yeah. I mean, whatever you feel about them, it has an it has a care and an authenticity to it. Um, and even if it pisses you off, even if you disagree, there's a care and an authenticity to it that you you sort of. I don't know if authenticity seriously. is the word because it's so steeped in its own irony in a lot of times, and that's well, it goes back and forth because on the one hand you have, uh. There is a list of uh, there's an article that they put out of like their most important reviews throughout their history. Yeah, uh, I was going to say is be in the, the show notes. Of this podcast is basically they beat us to it and wrote their own re- <laughs> own thing about important the thirty but, important reviews and I, I read it when it came out and I reread it for the show. Yeah, yeah. And so on the one hand, you have the review of Kid A, which is. It's a ten star review, and you're like, of course, of course, it's a ten yeah. out of ten. But then the re- like well, this was in two thousand, in so two thousand, yeah, current, and they're like the review is not even as much about the record itself as it is about the first time the author saw a shooting star, and it's mm-hmm. this incredibly earnest, uh, kind of wispy review. The kind of ephemeral about mm-hmm. this experience that he's likening to this album. On the other hand, you have them giving Zyrica by Flaming Lips a zero because I don't have four CD players. Is <laughs> why yeah, they gave that I, I review. Mean, and, there's a like <laughs> being a emo and hardcore uh, consumer. <laughs> Uh, in high school, but then discovering Pitchfork, I remember, like, right? Like, so I go, okay, what did they think about Full Collapse? What did they think about yeah. Taking Back Sundays, Tell All Your Friends? And of course... They hated Evo. Um, they hated all that, but there was this vibe around it where they were in the... Inc- like, they knew about... They were in the same crowd as you. Yeah. They knew about it, but they were just too cool for it, and they were going to show you something older and cooler that you hadn't heard yet. And uh, they've done a lot to, <clears throat> like, try to right those wrongs, right. if you will. But, um, like, the... I, I will say, like, the... And I'm going to link to the show notes, and, and I'm begging you to read it uh, if you're listening. The 38 important Pitchfork reviews is, is, is really well done. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, before we get into, like, yeah. Pitchfork core... What was your? When do you first remember paying attention to like? Oh, um, this 
online. This website is yeah. important, actually. It was the first time I remember it being mentioned was when my friend Brandon, uh, we were talking about music one day. It was weird because I got him a job at the subway that I worked at, but he never actually showed up for a shift. <laughs> and so it was good, just like this. Good for him. He chose wisely. I, know, I was like, what the, what? And this was the subway that was inside of a gas station. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. But like he came in one time before that, like in the conversation where I was like, dude, we need help if you want to. He's like, yeah. Like, so bro, I, like, I hooked you up with this four right. hour and 50 cent an hour job. <laughs> but so it was 725. I think I got a 750 Ooh. raise. Um, but we were talking about music because I, you know, I was living at home and I didn't have any expenses. And so I would get paid. Were every- you in high school? I was in college. Okay, you were in college. Yeah, and so I would, you know, got paid every Wednesday, and so I would fill up my gas tank, and then I would drive down this street uh, in her town with, like, you know, all the the stores and stuff on it, and uh, I would stop at, like, all the used record stores, and I would, Mm -hmm. you know, get... And it started off, I was just buying CDs, and then I moved to vinyl later in that summer, but um, he and I were talking about, you know, like, whatever different stuff that I've been getting into. And he was like, Oh, you sh- have you ever listened to arcade fire? Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I haven't. He's like, okay, you should listen to arcade fires album. Uh, neon Feel. Bible. No, the, the oh, second Z- one. Oh, Zeon yeah. Bible era. Okay. Neon Bible. Uh, but before that, you should read the Pitchfork article about it. It is, it is beautiful. I, I cried. It felt like important to read the review. Yes. He's like, you should do that. And so, um, I actually don't know if I read that review before I bought the CD. I don't think I did. Um, but that's surprise. That's later than I thought for sure. I'm sure that I came across certain reviews, uh, at a point, but in uh, like, cause I remember there's some, you know, Coheed and Cambria reviews that I felt very strongly towards. And I feel like they probably were from Pitchfork. Um, in hindsight, but yeah, it was, I was in college when I started, it was like, Oh, I should, I should pay attention to this. And it was around this time that there was like the beautiful confluence that I am calling pitchfork core where pitchforks role as Kingmaker. Yes. Intersected with like indie rocks marketability and so they and around were, this time they debuted what is now one of the biggest festivals in Chicago. Yes, that I I attended five years in a row. Uh, I went year. I missed the it's first a, year, but I went year yeah, two through six. Huge deal festival. And, <clears throat> yeah, like huge deal. Sure. Nowadays, are you getting bigger acts, bigger and bigger acts to perform? Sure, but like it was just such a. A tastemaker. Yeah. Tastemaker is the word. It tastemaker, kingmaker. And it was Pitchfork was the reason Arcade Fire got any attention yeah. at all. So they are the reason that Clap Your Hands Say Yeah got any yeah. attention at all. <laughs> I was uh, gonna say there's there's a couple bands that are famously like Pitchfork made them. And I'm not discrediting the band. Arcade Fire is a phenomenal, like they're their body of work, I would argue, their first three records only are really, really, think, really, really good. I think I like Reflector more than Suburbs. I hate but Reflector. I love it. I hate Reflector. Um, 
but yeah, it was. Uh, so my earliest reviews, I think, was I was I've just always been a born critic. My, um, you know, my mom used to always tell me that, like, <laughs> oh, you can always like how how I it felt weird to me to watch something and then to not have an opinion about it. Oh yeah, like, yeah. What yeah. do you mean you don't have an like? I was just born with this, and there's other people. I'd be like, what'd you think of that? And they'd be like, oh, I don't know. And they're like uncomfortable <laughs> to give their opinion. And I'm like, I have never had that a day in my life. And it's been something as an adult I've had to learn to curb. And now you have a podcast. To be like, because of now that. I have a podcast. Because, yeah, I, I needed an outlet. But it's something as an adult I've learned to curb of like, hey, not everybody always wants to hear your opinion all the time. Or sometimes, you know, it's just experience thing and walk away. But right. the earliest review I remember was Pitchfork uh, from Pitchfork was Thursday's full collapse. Yeah. I that record uh was a man. Um I don't know what to say about it. And you, I was you really said it a bunch of times. You went into the I record store and there's that cute girl with a Thursday she shirt. She was very cute. She had a she had a Thursday jacket. Thursday, Thursday jacket. jacket. And, uh, and you said I'm going to impress her. I said, I'll buy I'll buy that record. Um <laughs> and so I read I think they gave Full Collapse like four out of ten, and it was a very. And again, so much of the reviewers at the time were self hate. It was emo kids reviewing emo with this sort of lens of self hate, of like yeah, trying to get at what the Gen Xers were into or something. And so I read that one, and it really pissed me off. Here's being here's here's what it is. Here's what it is. It was. Emo kids who were, you know, they were super into Thursday at waiting, and then they <laughs> discovered Pavement and Neutral Milk yeah. Hotel, yes, and Slint, and then was like, everything I liked before is dumb. Yes, those no, the three bands you just named though were like so like pillar like it was a five point six round uh, full collapse. Yeah. They were around before Pitchfork, but they were Pitchfork bands in the sense that, like, Pitchfork was always comparing to them. Uh, so I got really upset about the Thursday Full Collapse review and then uh, Something to Write Home About by the Get Up Kids, which uh, I cannot explain how influential that record was to me. And I think it's a perfect, re- I think that's a 10 out of 10 record mm-hmm. in my book. And they, like, dunked all over it. I don't remember. They didn't like it. And then. Like so now I'm hyper aware of Pitchfork. This album I'm is reading it. this review is so bad. Of what uh, of full collapse. I'm reading it. Oh, it's clips. it's not, uh, not Then so now I'm in the zeitgeist and I'm reading it. I did read Pitchfork. this. Like I did I'm, read this when I got I'm into like, Thursday. Hate, I remember hate that. Reading Pitchfork. Yeah. But I'm still reading it. And then I remember when Andrew WK came out with I Get Wet and I was in high school and I thought this is so stupid but it's awesome it's fun right Andrew WK uh, if, if you don't know is just like doing kind of, I would almost say like doing like Def Leppard or like other party rock but in a modern way and in a wholesome way like it wasn't very it wasn't very misogynistic yeah. it wasn't very uh, it wasn't about drugs really um, it was just very much like about energy, and so he he was awesome. And they gave that record like a two, and like just dunked on it. And hilariously, I have to mention that when they uh, about this is probably five years ago now, they did best albums of the decade or yeah whatever. And the I think the two thousands 
was one of them, and they put Andrew WK's "I Get Wet" like high, like they, yeah. that was one of the ones that they've re-reviewed because that's the thing they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They recognize how annoying they were, and they give Andrew <laughs> WK like "I Get Wet" like an eight point six out of ten or something. Right. Da- Daft Punk's "Discovery." Yeah, that is their number one album of the two thousands, I think. Or and it was like yeah, yeah it was like a five point two or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's just like, and they even recognized when they made that was like, yeah, we kind of screwed up. Yeah, but like how many people. <laughs> And again, this is speaking to a person. Maybe, maybe if you're that easily influenced, uh, well, that's kind of on you. <laughs> but how many people were like, "I really like Daft Punk," but Pitchfork hates this record. So. I I want to know if there is a person who just takes everything Pitchfork says at face value, oh, or yeah, if everyone. Absolutely. Who, I know, but I feel like. It's much more common that everybody reading it, the people I know, they all read it and have a reaction to it. <clears throat> the pitchfork, uh, there's gotta be reader bombs. who is, yeah, there's gotta be know, hordes. Um, but to your point, you mentioned a couple of bands, but the, the, the two bands, and there's more, but the two bands in particular that pitchfork made is Clap Your Hands, Say Yeah, yeah. and Arcade Fire. Arcade Fire went on to be radically successful. Won and a Grammy. Uh, clap your hands that yeah, didn't quite as much. Uh, <laughs> maybe because... <laughs> maybe because their next album was really bad. <laughs> maybe because he sings like this. If you sang terribly... <laughs> Pitchwork loved you, you know. Um, so <laughs> there's this tweet that's like me listening to a white guy singing very whinily to an acoustic guitar. This is good. I like this. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's Pitchwork. Um, all that to say, then Pitchwork became this dominant for. I guess we're doing a history segment. Pitchwork became this dominant force. And us very intelligent people knew to take it with a grain of salt. Right. But then eventually they sold to Condé Nast. And I'm sure the corporate overlords kind of said, you guys have been kind of assholes in the past. And like, you got to <laughs> clean up your image and like whatever. And so they've started doing, they're a much more like professional operation now. Yeah. And uh, I still read Pitchfork all the time. And- um, their Sunday review yeah. Their Sunday review they is have some one features of my that are, yeah. favorite things. Every Sunday they come out with a review of an old album that yeah. they did not review. Um, and it is a joy to read. And it's like it's more than a review. It's like a deep dive. They did one of DC Talks, Jesus Freak, which that we I have, have sent yeah. to everybody who even knows what that record is. I'm like, <laughs> you have to read Pitchfork's review of DC, DC Talks, Jesus Freak, <laughs> because it doesn't come with the snark and the BS that it came with earlier. Yeah. It comes with an honest investigation of like, where were we at as a culture when Jesus Freak came out? And why was this record world changing? And, you know... Uh, anyways, yeah. it's an interview of, but Pitchfork does not the tastemakers anymore. No, and it's they're not, and it doesn't seem like they're trying to be. Like it's there's not a ton of super underground stuff passing through there. It used to be, you know, you would they would pick up something that was, yeah, you know, it would like a a, a three song demo on a MySpace and they're like, Ooh, we mm-hmm. got to pay attention to this band. Like I remember the band dive getting like a artist to watch feature 
yeah. when they were that used still to be a thing. They were still spelled dive, D I V E instead of D I I V. With and like I was so hyped for that record by the time it finally yeah. came out. And there was, and again, like you know, the early days of Pitchfork, they're super snarky. And now they're kind of milk toast, but like there was that bit in the middle where I was I was turning to it for may I wasn't taking everything as gospel, but I would mm-hmm. I'd when I'm looking for stuff that's worth my while, I'd start there. And same. and it was I was in the same boat where I was yeah. I, I had sort of had my arms crossed. I'm standing in the corner going right. Sometimes you guys get it right. What, what, what are you right? About and now? so they had their best new music feature, uh, yeah. and there was a bit they were doing like a, a, they would do separate genre lists at the year end, and mm-hmm. for a few years they had like a best metal records of the year, and those mm-hmm. were those lists were like super solid. That's where I discovered Lantlos. Um, Pit- Pitchfork is how I got into Mastodon. Yeah, of all things, because I was like, <laughs> yeah, death heaven for me. I remember the review of um, Jane Doe in, in high school, right? That because again, I'm listening to Jane Converges. Uh, Jane Doe is a popular record by yeah. Converge, very good, and it was like changed my life. And I go to Pitchfork.com. Like they had to give this a ten, right? This has to be a ten, and it's Six. like a seven. Like they didn't like hate it, <laughs> or you know, they like they're like it's a seven out of whatever. But I remember being, just being like, "What is wrong with you people?" Um, yeah, they reviewed one Me Without You record, and it was like a 6.8. And I was like, what the hell? And so um, I want to I want to get into what you're calling, and I think it's appropriate, Pitchfork Core, which I would say sort of starts with like broken social scene. Yes, or uh, another band fire. that they made. And I, I would push against that. I think broken social scene was sort of, on the, yeah, they yeah, because they had like, yeah, because like, because they were already Feist was already kind yeah. of doing her thing. Stars are already doing metric was already a thing. Uh, if you don't <laughs> know how everybody calls a, metric stars all the time. <laughs> wait, or no, they're yeah, a, stars is a different they're two band. Separate, two yeah, separate yeah, yeah. bands. Yeah, yeah, two yeah. Separate but bands. doesn't metric also have a song called stars? Probably. I, I don't so. know. I don't like metric or stars. I'm sorry. Uh, but metric um, was Clash at Demonhead in uh, Scott yeah. Pilgrim. Yeah, if you are Scott Pilgrim, the song that um, Brie Captain Larson Marvel sings, sings <laughs> yeah, that cast has gone on metric. to amazing things. That's metric. Um, so, and Broken Social Scene wrote most of the songs. I love Broken Social. So, like, I would except say, like, the, you know, the Sex Bob Om songs, which were Beck. Oh, oh, two, oh, three. Broken Social Scenes, you forgot them, people, which is their second record. Their first one was uh, uh, just basically instrumentals. Uh-huh. The first time I heard to this I mean to this day, one of the, my songs that make me most emotional and one of my favorite is uh um your radio uh what is it the radio I can't remember the title, <laughs> but it's like Radio Crimes uh something mix or whatever. See, I said it was one of my favorite songs, and I'm now I'm screwing it up. Yeah, there you go. Um but because they have a stupid title for it. They they um, do that, yeah. They're one of those bands where the titles are like, "What are you even talking about?" Almost Crimes Radio Kills Remix. See, there we go. There we go. Um, the first time I heard that song was on a mix CD that I had made. 
or someone made for me. And I remember being in my car and just like going, oh my God, whatever this is, I need, I need so much more <laughs> of it. And then, uh, and you forgot it in People, which was Broken Social Scene's second record, had been out. And then I heard, hey, they're coming out with the third record, which is a self titled one. And that was 05. Oh, Why that? That record's so good. And uh, got obsessed with it. Um, and then the same thing with, with you know, somewhere with uh, Arcade Fire, where uh, Pitchfork gives them a glowing review. I go by the record. Um, I bought the record when it came out. And I remember not liking it and just being like, this is weird. And I remember them <laughs> comparing it to, I think in the review, they even compared it to like Bruce Springsteen. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> even, at, even at that time, I wasn't a the Springsteen fan I am now, but I yeah. like Bruce Springsteen. And now when I listen back, I'm like, oh my God, this is, t- I totally get the comparison now. Yeah. But then I was, I just heard art rock. I just heard weird kids being weird. Right. Um, but it was the... Yeah, the the neighborhoods number three or whatever, it, which is track four. You know that was their big single. Yeah, and and it was just you know it was it was like yeah like I kept going okay Pitchfork Warden's the next one of these tell me tell me about the next Arcade Fire <laughs> yeah 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 you know yeah it was it was this weird sort of confluence of because I mean Pitchfork was you know, probably the thought leader in that area, but there mm-hmm. was a bunch going on at the same time. There was, um, so, cause my turn to like indie rock and alternative came, um, uh, probably around, uh, Oh six or Oh seven. And, you know, I started getting into like bright eyes and death cab and stuff like that more and you know from there went to you know decemberists and mm-hmm. uh arcade fire and animal collective and that but it was around and it was around that time i also discovered a local college radio station uh called mm-hmm. the globe which is actually based out of goshen indiana which is like 20 miles south of here. <laughs> so yeah, you can only get it in like certain parts of town. Um, but there were certain times a night, no- certain times a night. And then we're like, there's one of like these college kids, like that really knows what's going on. And then also there's a show called world cafe that also like featured a bunch of, I think that was actually the first time I heard arcade fire in the wild was on the world cafe. And Co- college radio was a huge, it's huge. Thing yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for me too. Like when I lived at home with my folks in the in the mid two thousands, like um, any local college radio. If I yeah. got near Ann Arbor, yeah, because <laughs> I'm like, what do you point? You know, right. and, and Pitchfork in a way was college radio. Um, that yeah, on steroids. Yeah, and there was also a couple websites based in Europe. Uh, that I was just like devouring at this time. There was uh, a a British video series called Black Cab Sessions, which I love. I love Black Cab. Uh, they would just get a band in the this back little, of like a London cab. Yeah, like a and, tiny little British cab, and then they would just film them 
playing a song in the back of this cab. And it's fantastic. I even did like my own fake black cab session for one of my like songs. That description is hard to sell. Or it's like, uh, oh, there's someone playing the back of a cab. And you're like, no, it's really fun. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, the spoon one of Britt Daniels. Uh, That's where I discovered Bonnie Vare. Uh, you know, this blew me away. Yeah. Oh, really? Did yeah. he do a black cab session? He did a black cab. He did All Skinny right. Love. Or not Skinny Love. He did uh, Creature Fear. Uh, and that was, I was just I like, need what is this? And this will all be in show notes. Yeah. Uh, so, and then you actually texted me, I think later in the week and was like, Hey, have you ever heard of Bonnie Vare? He reminds me a lot of you, which mm-hmm. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What do I do with this? But like fleet foxes were on that too. And, uh, like, um, Man, what were their name? My Morning Jacket did some mm-hmm. of those, and then a lot of the same bands, uh, and th- that same sort of pool of bands were yeah. also uh, active in a French site called La Blogotech. And Blogotech had a series called Takeaway Shows, where they would just it was kind of similar to Black Cab Sessions, except. Mm-hmm you'd be in different contexts besides just a black cab. So like mm-hmm. Bonnie Vare has a section, has a episode where uh, he's like just playing on like, you know, he's got an acoustic guitar and one of his guys has a toy piano and, you know, somebody else has like a tambourine or whatever. And there's another video in there where they do uh, for Emma, just acapella, like in a hallway with these great acoustics. So I've seen that one. Yeah. I've seen them doing For Emma yeah. Forever Go in a hallway acapella. Yeah. And that really made me go, oh, because I was I yeah. was not on the Bon Iver train when he came out. I Like I was. Skeptical. Oh, geez. Thanks. I, was, I, I thought was, you were trying was, to flatter me. I was flattering you, but I was like, I was like, I like some of this and some of this. I don't know. And it warm. My friend Miguel um, got really obsessed. Yeah. We, we actually, me and my friend Miguel played a. <laughs> yeah. When are me and Miguel starting a podcast? We get way more. In uh, you and Miguel would be <laughs> fast friends. <laughs> Let's bring him um, up. But we did a, me and Miguel did a show together. He opened and then I played. Yeah. It was like, you know, it's small just friends yeah, and family yeah, yeah. and whatever. Um, but I remember he covered, and I played with him during his set. Mm-hmm. We covered the whatever, I can't remember the name of it, the first track. Fl- on. Uh, Flume. Yeah, we covered that. When I was busking in Chicago, and, that was one of the tracks that I did a lot. Because it was also uh, like, that was 2009 I was living in Chicago. So like yeah. it was still like, that record was still bubbling up. Like it hadn't exploded yet. Because it was... Well, it was weird because it felt like the most indie underground. Like, literally, yeah. you know, guy goes in the woods and records on a four-track or a laptop or something. I don't remember. Just in a cabin. And then, in a cabin. And it's very lo-fi. And then it was, like, a year later, like, when I would go to Target, yeah. uh, they would then have there it is. Yeah. up <laughs> front. Like, yeah. in the, hey, buy this CD. It, it, and it would be next to Taylor Swift. And I'm like, what? And even like, so Jack, Jack, and, and they've done a song together now. Yeah. Bonnie Vera is oh, on yeah, a Taylor yeah, yeah. Swift song. Um, yeah. But like Jack, Jack, you are like a little indie label out of like Bloomington, Indiana. Mm-hmm. They have, they, their edition isn't even the original edition. They mm-hmm. reissued it. A, like a year after it came out. So like, it was like this little thing that bubbled and then, you know, yeah. all these, all these things happen. And Pitchfork was like probably one of the biggest ones of those 
where, you know, once Pitchfork is like, okay, yes, here it is. And then, you know, kind of the Kingmaker goes. And then he went on and he won, uh, was it Album of the Year or Alternative Album of the Year? He just, yeah. He he won something at the Grammys. And then um, it, like, got big enough that, like, Justin Timberlake played Justin Vernon on SNL. Yeah, that's right. There was that skit of, like, Beyonce and Jay-Z had just had their their first or second child, I don't yeah. remember what child. And uh it was like the skit was just uh Wasn't it the Kanye excuse. thing? The Kanye it, Taylor Swift thing? No no no, no Okay. No. This was the skit was I'll put it in the channels, but it was just Jay Z and Beyonce had their baby and then it was just an excuse for SNL to parade different staff uh cast members through sure uh, doing their impressions of various celebrities. But one of them, Justin Timberlake, who is radically more famous than Bon Iver, yeah. did a parody of, of Bon Iver. Yeah. And that's when I was sort of like, when I was like, holy cow. Yeah. And then it like ended with Bon Iver putting himself it. to sleep. Um, he sings himself <laughs> to sleep. <laughs> and to, like, it was just uh, when, when Arcade Fire won, best yeah. uh, album, album of the year the Grammys this is uh, 2011 I remember coming to work the next day and uh, I don't know what social media I was on at the time but it was like someone had made us a, a Tumblr <laughs> and but they had bought the nice they had bought the like proper domain name or whatever for it to redirect and it was called like who the F is Arcade Fire yeah. <laughs> and it was a Tumblr that was strictly dedicated to people's reactions going who, who the hell is Arcade Fire there is also who the F is Bonnie Bear <laughs> and it's like anybody who's followed music was like oh my god they're long overdue yeah 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 Ray. but if i was like this isn't the album top, i'd give it to him for yeah if you just turn on your top 40 right you weren't hearing arcade fire in 2011 but uh, but you know but, even on the radio yeah, but, on the fm radio but then they were there. getting in like commercials and movie trailers and stuff i remember, wake up was from in the uh yeah. where the wild things are trailer and i well, bought that album because of that trailer, you know? And to this day, freaking grizzly the, bear was the, in a Volkswagen commercial with Stevie wonder in it. The version <laughs> of wake up that they did, they were, it's a re-recording. It's not the one from funeral. The one they did for where the wild things are is a different version. And I don't know where to find it. Yeah. And if you'd know, tell me because I like it better than the album. Because it's an acoustic guitar instead of electric. It's acoustic guitar yeah. rather than electric. And I and I remember uh yeah, I I I was like one of four people I know that liked where the wild things are. I love that movie. <laughs> I own it on Blu-ray. It was James Gandolfini plays the, the big I monster. love it so much. Seeing Tony Soprano do not Tony Soprano stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that. I did that song at open mic one time and I had a bunch of people then just referred to it as that Yelly song you did. <laughs> cause the, <laughs> Oh, cause you have to, you have to do the, the vocals. The that part vocals. is like, it's high. It's up there. But um, um, but no but yeah there is this weird confluence where all this like indie rock like underground stuff that Pitchfork was bubbling up because they were like championing the unsung like under celebrated bands like you yeah. know stuff like Antlers and Grizzly Bear and Local Natives uh, they mm-hmm. were you know very instrumental in Local Natives uh, getting big also like Local Natives had a Blogotech takeaway show that was 
just fantastic. Um, I love that band. Local Natives to, is one of my favorite newer stuff. They're one of my favorite bands. Their newer stuff is it's weird. Hummingbird is maybe a top ten record for me. Um, I just remember and Warren and I were obsessed uh, with the first Local yeah. Natives record. We got really obsessed, it's and then so we good. saw National the National on tour for uh, yeah. High Violet, and Local Natives was opening. Uh, me and my friend Evan saw that show, and I remember just being like. So euphoric yeah. after being like, yeah. "Oh my god!" Because local natives only had one record. They're incredible. Out, and National had four, I think, yeah. and it was it was incredible. yeah. And National's another one of those bands that you know Pitchfork lauded them I up. Mean, again, yeah, they had been out, they had been making music, they had been whatever. But when Boxer came out, yeah, um, yes. Again, I don't want to take away merits from the band, but there is this tastemaker, kingmaker thing, as yeah. you said, of like going, "Okay, I'm going to bless you now. You have." You have done well, my son. Yeah, and the national got that with Boxer, and you know they're they're performing um, Fake Empire on Letterman. Is, is yeah, you know, like they got on Letterman well, with it. I'll I'll tell you one of the ones that you know a band that had been around forever that then had the crown placed upon their head was Phoenix, because mm-hmm. Phoenix had been around forever, like. Phoenix came out of the same band that Daft Punk came out of. Yeah. They were all in a band together and they broke up. And then Daft Punk and Phoenix came out late 90s, mid 90s. And Phoenix had been, you know, hauling around. They'd been, you know, making making rock and roll. And mm. nobody really cared until Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix exploded everywhere. That's still the only record of theirs that I've ever given attention it's the anytime I listen to anything else, I'm like, I just want to listen to freaking Listomania. Yeah. I want to listen to Fences. I want to listen to uh, that record. Was, it's incredible. That record's incredible. Well, and I, Lauren and I uh, got to see them. They were playing in Detroit, and it was mm. this thing of if you come early, if you get there at five, but only a certain number of people. <laughs> if you get there at five, uh, we're, we'll take the first like forty people in line. And Lauren was really obsessed with the record at that point. And I was too. I was into it. And I had, I had woken up at um, 5 a.m. and. Uh, oh, you got to get there at 5 a.m.? No, no, no. I had oh, woken okay. up at 5 a.m. for my coffee shop job. And so I think I got out of work at noon or two or something and go home and shower. And then I drive out there to Pontiac. <laughs> it was the Crowfoot Ballroom in Pontiac. Yeah. We drive all the way out there. And I get there like at 3 p.m. and the show is the, the Phoenix isn't playing until like nine, right? Right. But like 89X, the local radio station, again, 89 the local X. alternative radio station had been promoting the hell out of the show. This is Phoenix had exploded. They had made it. Yeah. And so I'm thinking there's gonna be a line around the block, and also there's warnings of a blizzard coming in there. <laughs> and so I'm like, what am I doing? I was to say I was tired was an understatement. I was seeing I was a zombie and uh, it's just me and Lauren and one other girl there. <laughs> and we're like, uh, so we got out and we went and like stood in, we made the line. We're like, this is stupid. Let's go back to our car. It's middle of winter. It's freezing. Yeah. So we go back to our car and we wait. A couple more people start pulling up. So then at like four 30. And again, this thing's supposed to happen at five. We get out, we go over and it's like, there's like seven of us there. Like literally, <laughs> And so Phoenix, the band, they're like, okay, you guys can come in and whatever. And the whole gimmick was if you show up 
early, you get a, a, a special intimate acoustic set with them. But there was like only seven of us. And so very they, intimate. Um, it was wild. Yeah. And, they're, you know, they're sitting in front of us and they did a little acoustic show and we sat on the floor and it was very sweet. And then they go, okay. Um, but you can't stay inside. Now you have to go back out and get back in line for the regular <laughs> show in the cold. The stupid. And I said to my wife, I, uh, then girlfriend, I said, I really want to see this band. They're at the height of everything. And I really like them, but I'm about to fall over and die from exhaustion. And so I, I uh, went home and then she got out <laughs> and didn't get home until like two or 3 AM because there was a blizzard. Oh yeah. So, yeah. There Sorry, you go. Look who a random won. story, but you're totally right about <laughs> yeah that you know right and Phoenix of their own. I mean, Animal Collective had been around Animal Collective had been around for so long, and then they got you the know blessing. feels. Well, I think the first record feels feels was feels the one. maybe their fifth record or something like that. Yeah. It's late. And I eh, I think they probably went back and reviewed Sung Tongs. I don't remember if because I, I I agree though that if they did review them, it was retroactive. Yeah, I also the, the here you want to hear the story of how I heard about Animal Collective. I told it in the Discord today that you may have seen. I didn't. I didn't. Um, I didn't look. It was in the prompt of what's the best insult you've ever heard. Uh oh. Uh, so I was in Chicago. Um, it was when I was staying at, uh, I spent a week at Jesus People USA in college and met a few people who I later would move into an apartment with uh, when I graduated. And we are, we are there. Uh, we decide we want McDonald's. And so we walk down from Japuza, like half a block to McDonald's, and we're walking through the drive through because that's the thing you could do in Chicago. They just don't care. Um, as long as, you know, you're not in the way of cars. And it's it's me, and I'm like kind of like this is probably peak Nat wishes he was in me without you time, and so I'm in like <laughs> a fur lined hood coat with very shaggy hair and a beard, and then um, the people that I'm with, it's like a like a goth girl. And but like kind of like a cutesy goth girl, so like she probably was dressed like a Hello Kitty version of a goth character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, th- the other roommate, the other future roommate, was wearing like a suit blazer with buttons on the lapel, with like mm-hmm. long like straight shoulder length hair, and maybe a tie, maybe even like a skinny tie. Yeah, dressing very uh, business adult was a total thing, too. Yeah, and these, like, sorority chicks walk, like, through the lane behind us, and one of them is, like, texting on her phone and, like, looks up and goes, holy animal collective, and then just, like, goes back down to her phone. And that was, I was like, I... What is that? <laughs> what, she, what is this reference? <laughs> I don't understand the joke. And they filled me in that it was this weird band. Um, that then I mean, had they a, are a bill- weird, They're a weird band. Did Meriwether Post Pavilion make number one at the Billboard chart? Is that right? I don't think that's true. It was but top it, ten. It charted. Um, so the record feels by Animal Collective comes out, and again, that's another one. I'm in oh six or oh seven, I think. Whenever it came out, I was in college. 
And uh, this is when I had, so I had an iPod at that point. Yeah. And I remember putting feels on my. That's iPod the other thing that happened. To that's the other thing eight. that was going on was that iPad iPods were getting popular, uh-huh. so yeah. people were so freaking out about all the music. Because we all knew how to BitTorrent and all that right. before, but now it was is even easier to check out a band. Um, and and so I remember listening to Feels and being like, I don't know if I like this or not. But Thirteen on the Billboard chart. Is there Mary Thirteen. So then, a top forty record. They come out. At this point, I get a new car, and the the other piece here of, of we mentioned a pitchfork, but right there's a bunch of things working in concert, and another piece was Sirius. Uh, oh, and XM yeah, yeah, radio, yeah, yeah. Which used to be two separate companies, and I got when you got a new when you get a new car. I think in the past twenty years, they give you Sirius and or XM. And or <laughs> yeah, both. it's it's like. Um, Included for three months, yeah, yeah, yeah. You start paying, and so my mom's Christmas present to me that year when I got this nice car was she's like, Oh, I'm gonna extend your satellite radio subscription. Okay, cool. So I'm listening to I don't remember what it was called on Sirius, but it was like Sirius U or it was their version of college radio, and now it's called Sirius XMU again, still hearkening to college radio. But they were such tastemakers, and what they would do is they had different bloggers because music blogging was so huge Mm -hmm. the different bloggers run different uh like two-hour segments and so now we just call those playlist makers um yeah you have brooklyn vegan who brooklyn vegan still rocking and rolling huge pretty big but there was like my old kentucky blog i'm trying to remember some of the other ones but you would just hear about things through them too and almost always the Venn diagram of what they were recommending and Pitchfork recommended were overlapping. Yeah. So yeah, then the Animal Collective comes out with, with uh, the Strawberry Jam, which I didn't really like. And then when Meriwether Post Pavilion came out, which was the next one, the hyper on that was so huge, but also my... You couldn't get away from it. Evan was had gone off to college and just gotten obsessed. Yeah. So he was like... I mean, he was just like this is the future this is the future this is the <laughs> moment and so i remember seeing them on tour for that record and both loving that record like i really love that record but also being sad being like our guitar's not cool anymore yeah like i remember just being like kind of sad being like there am i yeah. gonna have to learn how to do bleep bloop music now <laughs> there was a moment <laughs> There was a moment and kind of where like, you know, that sort of indie rock kind of tailed off where, where that, where what I'm calling pitchfork core kind of died off Mm -hmm. was where a little later on, like I went to check like the best new music, whatever. And like the last few weeks, months, whatever I couldn't find, or maybe it was a year end, but like there weren't any guitar albums in the top 10. And I was like, yeah, we're moving in different directions now. Cause yeah. <laughs> Pitchfork for a while was ironically reviewing gangster rap. Uh, and then it just became them earnestly reviewing pop and hip hop. <laughs> well, and uh, it's so much of my own. I mean, I'm not too proud to say so much of my own exposure to hip hop was through them because I liked I've always liked uh, hip hop, but then like they would, uh, particularly Hell Hath No Fury is still my favorite uh, 
rap record. It's Clips. It's Clips' second record, and famously Clips had a very frustrating time between first and second record, mm. uh, trying to get it out. And Pitchfork gave a glowing review. I think they marked it as like third record, of, third best album of 06 or something. And uh, and then I saw Clips at Pitchfork performing, and you know, you're in a crowd, and everybody knows every line yeah. to this dense... <laughs> album ultimately about selling cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it, it, it but it, 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 they gave a legitimacy to it. They gave a legitimacy to it that felt like as a, as a snob and as somebody who is, is not, you know, in that world, it's easy to dismiss and just go, Oh, that's, that's bling music or that's whatever music. Right. And yeah. Pitchfork did help go, no dummies. This is legitimate music. Yeah. Um, and really influenced, I mean, to this day, of a lot of the hip-hop I like. And, you know, but yeah, Clips in particular was such a turning point for me because I listen to so much rap, but I listen to, like, very acceptable and mainstream rap. And Hell Hath No Fury by Clips was yeah. not, did not chart, did not do well on the radio, and was pretty grimy. <laughs> and that got me into, like, getting onto Dat Piff, which is a mixtape website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like downloading mixtapes and like listening to just the most obscure BS. And if you've ever done that, then you have to listen to the DJs yell over the music half the time. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, that world was exposed to me through Pitchfork. Yeah. But no, but it was this, that like, I would also kind of maybe make the claim and maybe it's just like, you know, like the old man thing that we've talked about a lot where mm -hmm. I'm kind of of the mind that like when you're talking about, you know, kind of pop laden, maybe a little dancey indie rock, like that was probably like the best era of it. It was. You know, and like Phoenix has still been doing stuff. I don't know how much of what Phoenix has been doing is worth talking about quite as much as... Wolfgang, I'm Amadeus Phoenix. Like, you know, in the national, I, I mean, love High Violet. Pitchfork loved High Violet. I haven't really kept up with the national, and that makes me a bad hipster, I know. But oh, I love, I love the national. I know it's, yeah, it's uh, wrote for a <laughs> aging white man, yeah, with a beard to like the national. <laughs> I freaking love and the like, national, man, you know, like local natives and Fleet Foxes and Bonnie Vera aren't even making that music anymore you know no, bonnie bear no. is making whatever weird kind of synthesized uh alternative history soft rock uh that he's making it's you know what if yeah. what if bruce hornsby was a you know a trap musician or i don't know what he's doing i'm i'm into it but you know, and then Local Natives is almost making straight up like 70s soft rock on, you know, the latest record. <laughs> but in Grizzly well, Bear, yeah, man, when was the last bands, Grizzly Bear record? I think they're still together, but... They are the last Grizzly Bear record I Was that did Ruins? Called Painted Ruins. Painted Ruins. And that was 2017? I love that record. I love that record. But like, the kind of zeitgeist has gone off from that. You know, like, Vacatomist yeah. was... I I still think if history is kind and accurate, Vacatomist is going to be listed alongside like Pet Sounds and Abbey Road. Like I agree, it I is agree. that record is incredible. As perfect a Baroque pop record as anybody has made. 
And he's such a unique uh, vocalist. And he and um, they had massive cr- commercial success with that. That's the mm, other thing. Mm-hmm. Like music like this has been happening. Like the Shins, the Shins. You know they had their uh, the Garden State moment, but. Yeah. You know, how much of them getting to Garden State was bloggers like Pitchfork? And, no, you bring up a good point of this era of, like, Pitchfork core of, like, there was TV shows were adopting it. Particularly, I was obsessed with the yeah. OC. Yeah, OC. And, and, and the character Seth yeah. was on primetime Fox television name-dropping there's this uh, episode where it was when Bright Eyes came out with Digital Ash, Digital Urn, and um, like, what is that? Uh, wake, wake up, it's I'm, morning. I'm wide awake, it's morning. Yeah. They came out with two, two records, records the, on same, the day. same day. And I remember there was a point on the show where Seth is reading like an Emmy or Spin or something. He goes, Wow, Bright Eyes is number one record. I never. And he's like commenting on it on the show because it's queer, yeah. like the writers of the show and like this character Seth. And then there's various points in the show where he gives like people care, like Seth character packages, and it always includes Death Cab and Bright Eyes. Yeah. And you know, say what you will, that just was not happening. And like the Killers performed at the local club on the show. <laughs> yeah. Gilmore Girls had the same effect. Where Gilmore and that was yeah the shins on the show. But that wasn't even they didn't really play stuff right. There was, so much of their stuff was just like these little references that you would drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was like later season Gilmore Girls. They would go to a club and then they're like, oh sure, there's the, a band here, and you're like, oh my god, you know. But that was like. Kind of like all the stuff converges yeah. to form what we're talking about of Pitchfork Core. Not not quite like when Sigaros was on Game of Thrones. What <laughs> did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. I knew Mastodon was on Game of Thrones. No, there's a Wildlings. I think there's a wedding. I think it might be the the purple wedding. The jo- when the, the, jo- Joffrey's wedding. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, uh, I'm pretty sure that they're the band singing uh, Reigns of Castamere. I'm pretty okay, sure that's no. the episode. I know they're in there. It's like with like a hurdy-gurdy <laughs> or something. But... Uh, yeah, Mastodon was in Game of Thrones. Wasn't the National in there too? The National made a... They, didn't, they, they wrote the song. They made a they special song, song yeah. that was exclusive to the Game of Thrones end credits. Yeah. And then uh, the the guy who doesn't look like how he sounds he's the uh, orange hair carrot top <sighs> taylor swift made him big ed sheeran um ed sheeran i hate he, ed sheeran so much he's freaking terrible it's he's so bad so much oh, i'm sure he's man. a nice boy there was I'm sure he's nice. uh, but he uh he <laughs> is in a random episode as like this random boy by a campfire and he's he sings a song um yeah 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 but no but like there was that thing and like it because indie movies i remember especially were having mm-hmm. a like fox searchlight was like the hottest studio around for yeah. a while where, and they like all supported each. it yeah. felt like it was just this thing and yeah and you, I so you to have 20 something at the time yeah it was very appealing to me. you have pitchfork you have whoever's doing music supervision for the oc and gray's anatomy and garden state yeah. and i heart huckabees and wes anderson's whole deal yep uh you know all all of that is just coming in yeah. in this in this way where paves the way for like 
Vampire Weekend comes in and they say yes. the stage has been set for us, and when, they become when Vampire Weekend <laughs> came out. That was that was for me. Uh, I, I that was the only year I played South by Southwest. Before that weekend, I had never heard of Vampire Weekend, yeah. and after that weekend, you could not get away from them. Yeah. Like it was literally. I went to South by Southwest. We played our show. We do our thing. We're like hunting around trying to like get anybody who will listen to like whatever and getting a bunch of promises from people and exchanging emails and the whole city, like there were so many ads of you like see vampire weekend tonight yeah. at whatever. And I was like, who the hell is this? And they looked square. Yeah. Like they looked like a bunch of squares. Cause they were, cause I was used it to was the Weezer thing. punk or whatever. It was the Weezer thing. And they dressed preppy, yeah. you know, instead of the doing what the strokes did, they wore cardigans and Lacoste polos <laughs> and they looked <laughs> the like rich kids polos. and they wore boat shoes. They were boat shoes. Those boat they shoes. Like the kind of rich I had kids some boat you wanted shoes to beat up. Oh, I still wear boat shoes. Um, but they looked like the kind of rich kids you wanted to beat up, and then you hear the music, and you're like, it made me angry because I was like, this, I like this, but like, I want to hate them. I really want to beat them up. And I, then I came home from, from Southwest Southwest, and it was all over Sirius XMU. Yeah. It was every three songs. It was Vampire yeah. Weekend. Uh, I have a resentment towards Vampire Weekend because A-Punk is the song that plays automatically when I plug my phone into my car. Because it's, <laughs> it's the first <laughs> <laughs> Mine is uh, one of the because for a minute there the Ryan Adams cover of Taylor Swift's 1989 wasn't available on streaming. Oh sure, so we just bought it, <laughs> and so it's whatever track of hers is alphabetically first, but the Ryan Adams cover when I plug it into a <laughs> rental car, and it's like whoever makes these if you're if you're listening General Motors or whoever. Who has ever said I want to listen to my music in alphabetical order? Um, Who has ever said that? The oldies station here in town does that every weekend where the DJ wants a week off. So they just play through the entire library alphabetically. <laughs> it's just like, who, who is like, you know what? I want to hear Bruce Springsteen, but in alphabetical order. Right, but so it's like, <laughs> no. Well, uh, um, A Moonshaped Pool, the titles are in alphabetical order. Oh, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Know, I never put that together. Yeah, take a note. Um, but, but no, but it's. Oh, <laughs> I was gonna say I listened to Graceland by Paul Simon today, and then I was like, "Damn it, Vampire Weekend! Why?" I hope Paul Simon got a lot of money from you. Um, he featured. He played live with them. I know. There's a They're, live version of that song where they mention him explicitly, and he's. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. No, but I mean, but it's just, yeah, it was this weird sort of thing where it was a subversion of what had all already, all already been established as being cool and already been established as being admirable and whatever. And like, man, like the freaking Decemberists, <laughs> like my, the, you can, you can trace it back to Bell and Sebastian, but like, you know, yeah. Folks like Pitchfork and Blogotech and, you know, all these music supervisors for sure yeah. were big Bell and Sebastian fans who then and, were... And NPR. Yeah, like NPR. Right? NPR really started to play a big role in it. I started to listen to All Songs Considered, yeah. Bob Boylan. That was a podcast that mm -hmm. I listened to very regularly in the early 2010s, late 2000s. But yeah, I remember we, after we moved here, so I think it was like 2014 or 15. Um, I come home for Christmas and I get in the car with my dad and he's driving and he's just looking smug. 
and smiling. Good old like, smug what? Scott. And he's like, and he's like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And I'm like, huh? And I was like, oh, this is a little, ah, it's not for me. What is this? And then I hear, Wah! and I'm like, is this the Decemberist? And he's like, yeah, he's like, my uh, my friend burned this, my friend burned me this CD. I said, I'd really like it. And of course, my dad gets into the Decemberists after I stopped liking it. Because I was because uh, once they came out with that, uh, the Hazards of Love record where they were doing jam band bullshit, I was like, Dude, no, I no, I love, I love. I was barely in for Crane Wife. I'm out. Um, I love the Hazards of Love. That. They're not <laughs> doing jam band bullshit. They're doing prog rock. They are doing prog rock bullshit. Very yeah. different. Very yeah. very different. Um, they got they also Cheryl Warden's on there, and Cheryl Warden is great. Uh, My brightest diamond. Check her out. Um, but no, like there's this thing where. It, I'm, it's it's so weird. It's just like I'm thinking about every record that I bought in between like 2007 and mm-hmm. 2013, and it's like because it wasn't homogenous was the thing about it. Because like the National and Vampire Weekend and Grizzly Bear and Bonnie Vare and Saint Vincent and you know it. You can paint with a pretty broad brush with some ton- some tonic similarities, mm-hmm. uh, tonal similarities and stuff. But like, it's it's very different stuff. It's yeah, it's not like it. it re- I agree. It's, it's not, not cookie like, cutter uh, metal. When you listen to the oh, here's the top ten metal records of the year, and you're like, they all kind of depending on what list you're looking yeah. at. But they, it's like oh, yep, this is definitely metal. Where them, it's like I mean, again, we've talked about this before. Where like Sigur Rose and the Get Up Kids are both under the umbrella of indie rock somehow, and you're like, hell and no. All that stuff I, you keep just saying like this, and I I disagree. Radio. I disagree. People called Figaro's indie rock. They're wrong. Uh, I uh, I mean, they're not they're they're indie in the sense that they're not popular. They're incredibly but popular. But that's all that meant. That's all that meant. No, indie rock was an aesthetic marker. Well, yeah, that's what, but that's what I mean. Like, it meant it was a kind of a meaningless term. Yeah. But it sort of meant, oh, you're in the... Was that guess, aesthetic. There was, the, there was the aesthetic of, like, it's a little rough. It's, I mean, there's probably even, a white guy with a guitar. Even the, the idea of, of, of liking Taylor Swift unironically, yeah. like genuinely liking Taylor Swift was not cool or okay for a very long time. And again, you may say, well, with who? Well, with the, the, the blogosphere. No, it was and Ryan Adams. When, <laughs> when Ryan Adams covered 1989, which I think he, I mean, I don't think there's any irony in there. I think he was just like, this rocks and I want to do it. And he's kind of, he has the power to do his home studio. And he did it. And uh, I liked it. And I, I got obsessed with Taylor's 1989 that year. And that's what won me over with Taylor Swift. And I was like, holy cow, this is really good. I never thought I'd like yeah. Taylor Swift so much. And then his version of it was fun. And the first Taylor Swift record Pitchfork ever reviewed was Ryan Adams' cover of 1989. <laughs> right, so they, right. They got really eviscerated yeah. for that. They've since sort of gone back and done one of those big dumps where they review an artist's music. But yeah, like the fact that Taylor Swift is the most popular artist of the past 20 years and they didn't review her until like 2018 tells you who Pitchfork is or what. And I feel like that was kind of the point is like, I don't want to know 
what you have to say about the new Beyonce record, I can just yeah. go to Rolling Stone or any, you know, Cosmo probably, yeah. you know, to hear what like, they I'm say. I'm not here for, for Britney Spears or Robin Thicke or not Robin Thicke, Alan. Wait, who's Alan? No, Robin yeah, Thicke Rob, is the son. Okay, Robin Thicke is he still the only son. Has the one so- he still only has the one song as far as I know. Uh, like, I'm not here for whatever. You know, I'm, that's not what I'm here for. That's not what I'm looking for. If I, yeah. if I wanted to know what big pop song is popular, I would just turn on Top 40. The, the radio, exactly. I just turn exactly. on the radio. I want to find something else. And uh, I'm... You know, I'm I'm thinking in my head about the timeline, and I've you know kind of put a line at you know 2013, and maybe that's the best. You know, that's maybe when the whole kind of bubble burst. It's definitely I mean, I'm still reading Pitchfork, but they're yeah. just not as tastemakery anymore. I'm, well, they, yeah, they, and they still just feel like a journalistic outlet for music to me now, rather than right. Some anointing, but like you know, the bu- priest, but like the like the guitar indie rock where that bubble kind of burst and never had mm-hmm. the same sort of momentum it did. The other part of that is 2013 is when Sunbather came out and I started, you know, digging into different stuff. And so am I just not paying attention to the same indie rock that's going on? I know that, uh, like Lord Huron's a thing that I, every once in a while, I'm like, Oh, I should listen to Lord Huron. Um, but my, my lens these days, to that world is the uh, the Pandora station at my wife's shop, which is like <laughs> she's got like Spoon Phoenix and Shins radio stations that she goes between, which are all kind of basically the same songs. Uh, a lot of sometimes she might go to like Gorillas Radio or Beck Radio, um, and there's an awful lot of overlap. But I'm looking, and it's like most of the songs are from this kind of period, and. At the time, I was just like, wow, there's a lot of good stuff out here. I just got to pay attention to it. And I wonder if there is just this objective quality to that era that has diminished in some way. I, I think it has. I do genuinely think it has because I just think we, the internet's, like, we, the, the, the technology, the culture, everything has changed. When I think of big, uh, bigger artists that I've gotten into in the past five years, Idolf. I heard about Idolf from my friend Evan. Yeah. He was like, you got to check him out. Now, where he heard him, I don't know. I don't <laughs> think it was Pitchfork. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Hot Mulligan, I'm a mm. huge fan of theirs. I heard about them from my wife. My wife was like, hey, there's this... Um, Emo band from Michigan, you gotta check out. Okay, Zach Bryan, who my wife and I cannot get enough of and are obsessed with. Heard about him through her. I think he got recommended to her on a Spotify playlist. Right. And uh, Phoebe Bridgers, even, right? I had heard about her through Boy Genius when Boy Genius came out. It was like, because I was a Julian Baker fan. Because when Julian Baker, so Julian Baker is through Pitchfork. So yeah. Julian Baker, Julian was, Baker was anointed by Pitchforker. She Pitch was uh, <laughs> one of the one of the better albums of 2016 or 17 yeah. or something, and I fell in love with with that record. And then when Boy Genius comes out, it's like Julian Baker and two people I've never heard of, and I liked that EP Who's a lot. Who's the third one? And um, Lucy Dick Dacus. I don't know who that is. I think is her name. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then when the like, other girl from Boy Genius. <laughs> uh, 
when Punisher comes out. Oh, man. You know, right? The Woo. world is like Phoebe Bridgers. And I'm like, who? Oh, the girl from Boy Genius yeah, and yeah. Julian Baker. And they're like, she's, what are you talking about? She's the most famous person ever. And, uh, and she's on when Taylor Swift. She, Taylor yeah, they're like friends. And that's, records. She re-record, she recorded a song with Taylor on Taylor's expanded yeah. version of Red. Because uh, Taylor had to redo all, her and own that's things. and that's kind of the other thing where like the idea of someone like Phoebe Bridgers and someone like Taylor Swift being peers, mm-hmm. that doesn't really exist prior this pitchfork boom. This no, it, boom. it doesn't. It, it doesn't. That you don't have that, and so yeah. like Maggie Rogers is another more recent example where huge. Tells me I need to listen to her. I've never heard her. I mean, I I haven't spent too much time with her. I just know, you know, she had that video where she showed her stuff to Pharrell Williams, and he was like, "Yo, okay." Uh, and I would say I just I have enough friends that know I'm into alt country stuff that are like, "You should listen." Yeah, to but yours. like, but okay. she's another one of the. It was just this. You know, just kind of blew up organically on the blogosphere, um, which there are way more avenues to do now than just through like, you know, Pitchfork says, hey, this is good. You know, you can get, you know, wherever, you know, Evan is finding music or whoever spot whatever Spotify playlist makers are, you know, your Lauren is paying attention to. And then you just like kind of seed into these places and you find that. And sometimes it breaks into huge uh, success. Like, cause I mean, Phoebe Bridgers has been everywhere. She's yeah. been everywhere. She did uh, better oblivion community center with Connor Oberst Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, have you watched Shrinking on Apple no, TV? I've heard it's good. It's wonderful. Good. It is absolutely wonderful. There's a scene where uh, she is uh, prominent, her music is prominently featured in an episode. Mm. And it's, it's, Phoebe Bridgers was, you know, nobody. You know, she four years ago she was very just um, very very underground, and now is oh you're hanging out with Taylor Swift, and (laughs) all that to say like this is all good. This is all things I think that are good, um, and I'm happy for it. And again, if there is any anecdote, so uh, I wanted to close a little bit with this with. In the past, what, two, three years, I've discovered, I mean, he's been huge forever, but Anthony Fantano, he's come up on the show. Anthony Fantano has what would be my dream second job. (laughs) My first job would be being a musician. My second dream job would be being a music critic. Um, Anthony Fantano is doing what I just should have always done and never had the guts to do is sitting in front of a camera and just talking about music and he's very, very, very good at it. Yeah, is he? Uh, And he listens to, how are you going to hit on Anthony Fantano? I just think he's insufferable. I love Anthony. Um, it might be because he, of his score for Baroness's Gray and Gold. Uh, I might be holding that I love against Anthony. him. Oh, I disagree with him all the time. It's fine. Um, I disagree with him I all like the time is the thing. <laughs> is he is a person. And so 
I am able to, he's an individual, so I'm able to say he got that one wrong, or he has trends towards this, and that's fine. And yes, he reviews everything. He reviews an Ariana Grande next to Daughters, and it's, oh, okay, that's cool, And but that's kind of the music consumer I am as well. Um, but all I have to say, I'm able to sort of understand who he is and take his reviews with the appropriate grain of salt whereas pitchfork felt a little bit more uh, biblical sure almost, of like this is it was the, an institution this is the tome yeah whereas fantano while he's radically huge uh he's you know he's even gone back and done his own version of what pitchfork just did of oh here's my early like he did when he looks at his old reviews and he like does a review of his review of Channel Orange by Frank Ocean and kind of talks about <laughs> parts where he thinks he got it wrong and thinks he got it right. And I appreciate that, you know? And so when he gives something a 10 or when he gives something high praise, I check it out. When he hates on something that I like, I kind of, yeah, I'll look, I'll look at it maybe with his critical lens, but uh, it has less punch, I guess, than Pitchfork used to. Maybe I've just grown up. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I think the big part of it is, and, and you and I have had this conversation a bit in the last week where uh, it used to be, you know, Pitchfork, NPR, Rolling Stone, whatever else, Enemy would put out uh, like, you know, their top 25 records of the year or top 50 mm -hmm. or whatever. And there'd be like 80% overlap. Yeah. Yeah. And... Most Pitchfork would have him more rap than like the NPR list, and NPR would have yeah. you know maybe more boomer, a little music a little bit Pitchfork of folk rock, was. yeah. But yeah, but for the most part, there is an agreement about what the important records are. Yeah, I don't know. In the last five years, the last three years especially, if there has been an agreed upon album of the year by like anybody. No. And like so, the last couple of years, uh, especially I mean, because I'm in our top ten list yeah. or our top records of the year list, like there were like everything four, we mentioned. <laughs> there were like four overlaps, and those are the things that we told one another about. And but even like the of what we mentioned, I'm like Spoon was maybe the only record that I mentioned that was probably on most lists. Yeah. Other than that, you know. Yeah, and. Uh, and even like I, you know, I'm in a space with a lot of folks who are making, you know, their own year end lists and people with very similar tastes to mine and very similar kind of orbits. And there's maybe, you know, in our top fifties, maybe four records mm -hmm. in common. Mm hmm. And it, it's just, there's so much. And, you know, we talked about there are way more ways to find listeners these days. Mm. Uh, and the other thing, I think there are way more ways to find music and to find stuff that is maybe a little more underground. Uh, and especially with how freakishly personalized Spotify's algorithms are, yeah. uh, I think it's easy to dig yourself into some trenches that you get pretty isolated. And I think the big, the big phrase that I keep using is that the monoculture is dead. There's not really a shared communal sense of these are the records that all of us are listening to anymore. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's much more personalized. It's a lot more niche. Even as an artist, I just want to find 
a community of people that will respect and appreciate what I'm doing. I have no interest in getting, you know, broader attention beyond that. I just want to, you know. <laughs> and it's easier now more than ever for me to not encounter music that I am not putting on yeah. myself. Like, for example, okay, I, I like Beyonce. I have listened to, I really liked Lemonade and I liked her double album before that. I still haven't listened to a single second of Renaissance. And it, is it because I'm some hipster jerk? No. It's just because like I just haven't been in the mood, and then people will be like, wow, you know, listen to it. And I'm like, one, because I haven't been in the mood, but two, it's not played everywhere like it used to be. Yeah. Like when, when her first record came out, Crazy in Love, you could not escape that song. That song was everywhere. Now you can do your whole life and skip, miss the single from the world's most popular artist pretty easily. Yeah. Which I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I should get around and listen to the record and see if I like it as much as Lemonade and whatever. My, but yeah. Like, it's just, you know. I think my closest look into like what's going on in the world of pop music is whoever's playing on SNL. Which my biggest question yeah. right now is how long has Lil Yachty sounded like Pink Floyd? Uh, about <laughs> three weeks. Three weeks? Okay. Because uh, I was like, this is great gig in will- the sky. What is happening? <laughs> That little Yachty record blew everyone away. <laughs> I still think it's flawed. I don't love it, but I gave it a real hard chance. I mean, and I'm liking what he's doing. Lil Yachty seemed to be the least important part of it from the two songs yeah, that they played. Like, I mean, his name is Lil Yachty. It's like he's just one of another billion SoundCloud rappers. <laughs> right. It, easily forgettable. And then... Um, I couldn't even tell them apart from all the other ones. And then this one comes out. People were talking about it. Uh, I don't even remember what it's called, this new record. And I was like, what? And I put it on. It was Questlove. 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 Okay. It's Instagram. I followed Questlove on Instagram. And Questlove was like, this record is important, you guys. This is a big deal. And uh, I got really into it. All right. Uh, well. Anyways, Pitchfork Core. Pitchfork Core. It's- I, the show notes for this are going to be a nightmare. <laughs> Uh, flip through whatever you're listening to this on. Check the show notes for a billion links to things. Uh, man. I'll have fun with it. Um, oh, we didn't next. even bring up Deer Hunter. I was especially going to bring up Deer Hunter. Oh, Just freaking Deer Hunter. They were so good. They got me into. They got me into Deer Hunter. Yeah. And I'm still, th- so still it's it's Hunter. interesting because my my roommate in Chicago hated Pitchfork everything, anything. He would just do whatever, but. He loved Deer Hunter. Deer he was like an he was like an OG fan. So like he would play cryptograms um, all the time. But yes, Pitchfork Core and also listen to Deer Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> so now, what is your is your weekly pick, Deer Hunter? My weekly pick this week is once again Disintegration by The Cure. I'm no, kidding. Stop it. <laughs> uh, it is an album called Pool Kids. From a band called Pool Kids. Um, I saw a few... Is it spelled funny? No, just Pool Kids, like the kids who hang out of the pool. Uh, Pool. Pool, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pool Kids. Um, Like that kid from uh, Sandlot who goaded the the lifeguard into a guess. Whatever. I don't remember his name. Um, No, he drowns himself. So the girl will (laughs) kiss him. And then they had 10 kids or whatever. Um, but so 
I had heard it hyped up by a few friends. Uh, the there's a group chat that I'm in. I usually just call it the group chat um, because it's just there's just a bunch of guys that I'm friends with, um, mm-hmm. and a couple of those guys were super hyped on it. And I, you know, again, I have so much music that I'm listening to all the time. And also, I had a child, and so I have less time to listen to the music that I listen to, mm-hmm. and. Um, I was ordering uh, Slip by Quicksand that was had a reissue recently and whatever store I was buying it from had like a deal if you spent $50. So I was like, sure, okay, I'll spend, you know, I'll buy another record and see, you know, you know, save a little money and then maybe I'll get something good as well. And so I just bought it blind and it is just delightful. Uh and the, the best way that I can, I almost texted you about it to listen to mm. it until I was realized that we were just recording this today. And I was like, <laughs> I'll just tell him, I'll just tell him then the best like comparison in my mind is like if Olivia Rodrigo fronted a mathy emo band. Okay. I'm into it. So Cause I liked, I liked her record. I'm not too proud. Yeah. So. so it's like pop songs like that filtered through like these just really kind of tappy mathy uh you know what i'm i'm trying to think of like other comparisons uh like a these towns needs guns or or this town needs guns or like a maybe a little bit of american football but like with some more urgency to like it it like hits there's some moments of like maybe metal or hardcore all right I need to. I need to. It's is really good. It's really good. Pool kids, pool kids by pool record. kids. Yes. Um, my pick is <laughs> is boring, but it's what I've been listening to most. Uh, that's not your record. Um, and it's Danny. Well, I've been listening to a bunch of Danny Brown because Danny Brown just came out with a record with JPEG Mafia. I am unfamiliar with JPEG Mafia. I've heard the name for years. Is that scare the hose around it? Yes, <laughs> but that's not what I'm recommending. I know, but so that, that's just an incredible it. title, <laughs> "Scare the Hose," which is like a re- it's a reference to it. it's a whole thing. Yeah, um, it's like meta layers to that beyond just the right. Scare those, but I, that has caused me to go back and listen to older Danny Brown, and I was listening to Atrocity Exhibition, and that kind of seems to be the one that people think are maybe his best, and I disagree. I like his double out, his first major label debut, which felt like such a long time coming, um, because he was so popular from his mixtape Triple X. It's just called Old, and I love it, and I listened to it like crazy in 2013 or whatever it came out. When I remember Pitchfork lauding it very loudly. Probably. I remember I was just so excited to see this Detroit rapper get this much praise and love and then it to be weird, right? It's not just, yeah, he's not rapping about the typical things or whatever. Um, and he just has such a weird voice, a unique voice. If you've never heard him, he's one of the craziest. Oh, isn't he the guy like, is it that guy? I have no idea how to... Uh, maybe? <laughs> you do it. <laughs> What's his voice sound like? I'm not imitating Danny Brown on the podcast. Is he on a gorilla's track? Um, 
I think he's I on humans. Think so, I think actually. he's on humans. Um, yeah, submission. I bet it. Yeah, that's oh, the yeah, guy. Yeah. That's the guy I'm thinking of. Okay. Well, you need to listen. That's your homework. Is you need to listen to old. No, that's um, about when I stopped listening to Pitchforks. I'm like Pitchfork, Stop telling me to listen to this Danny Brown record. I'm not interested. He's so good. Well, I guess I'll uh, listen to Death my, Heaven. That's my recommendation. That's my recommendation. Danny Brown's old. Yeah. Um, but just all of Danny Brown is is very fun and good, and it'll get you hype. Hype. <sighs> Holy cow! We've covered Pitchfork. Oof. It's in the it's in the books. There it is. All right, now it has been wonderful seeing you. Yes. Congrats on the new record. Again, it's in show notes, but uh, just it's go buy it. Go give Nat your money. Go buy the vinyl. Yes. Well, you have tapes too, right? No, we just are doing vinyl for this time. One. Yeah. Okay. But th- we do have tapes of the split. So buy. There's a bundle of the record and the tape. I don't even think my grandmother has a tape player anymore. I have a, like, who tape has player. a tape player. Well, I know you do, but you're you're special. People have tape players. It's a thing. <laughs> People are getting back into tapes. <laughs> no, they're not. Yes, they are. Why would my friend start a successful tape it's label? A terrible format. It's a terrible well, format. Well, yeah, but you people are buying it. You need a pencil to, to fix people it. People are buying it. Up. You just don't let it get screwed up. Or you keep a pencil uh, handy. All right. Nat, it's been wonderful seeing you. As always, <laughs> go listen to some tapes. I'll see you next. I'll see you in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>